the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We're underway now at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. It is a Thursday, the 30th and final morning of grooming month, of recruitment month, of indoctrination month that a few people call Pride Month. Thank my good Lord that that is over. Unless you start your morning thinking, well, that was really homophobic. No, it is in no way, shape, or form. You want to live your life in a certain way? Be my guest. I will hold nothing against you. I have absolutely no problem with you. You start dragging kids into it. You start recruiting them. You start dancing naked in front of them on public streets and telling them this is good because I'm proud of being naked and gay or naked and some other form of psychological delusion. You start pulling children into it. Now we've got a problem. That is what Pride Month has devolved, not evolved, but devolved into. It used to just be about proud. I'm proud. I don't have to be ashamed and live in the closet anymore. You know what? Go for it. What you do in your bedroom is none of my business. What I do in mine is none of your business. Be proud. I don't care. I have no problem. 
Pride Month left that in the dust a long time ago. Now it is about dragging children into the lifestyle. Now it is about indoctrination. Now it is about grooming. Now it is about recruitment to strengthen the numbers and increase their political power. Not having it. And that is a hill upon which I will die. So, thank goodness we are at the end of the month of June. It's a big day today. We have a lot of very important stuff to talk about, and I look forward to uh, hearing from you. It's going to be a little tough today. I'm going to be straight up with you here and blunt and honest with you. We are packed. We've got coming up in a half an hour special treat for you. If you normally listen on Mondays at 935 because you want to hear Jim Jordan and you missed him, that's because he wasn't on Monday. He is on today. Uh, I was not here Monday. Of course, Rob Walgate and Dave Zanotti did a phenomenal job sitting in for me. So uh, Jim Jordan bumped to Thursday. So we'll have him at 9.35 this morning, and we are going to talk about the show trial, the sham, the uh, complete Hollywood production, including surprise witnesses offering third-hand hearsay testimony to try to embarrass, humiliate, and, yes, set up for prosecution. President, former President Donald J. Trump. That is exactly what this was intended to do. And we're going to talk about that with Jim Jordan, among other things. Coming up at 10 o'clock, or 10.10 rather, Dr. Everett Piper makes his triumphant return. He missed last week due to an injury. After surgery, he says he's ready to go. So Dr. Piper at 10.10 will uh, take us through the culture wars. Um, coming up at 10.35, looking forward to talking to Representative Warren Davidson. I think it's in a very long time. I can't even remember last time. To be honest with you, talking to Warren Davidson, it's been years. Uh, but we're going to talk to him about the direction of the country in the wake of Roe v. Wade, what is happening, uh, and why they are still pushing for uh, court packing. They're still pushing for an abolition of the uh, filibuster, the legislative filibuster, so that the Democrats can do as much damage in the remaining four months of power or five months of power that they have left. And that is really literally all they have left, if we have free and fair elections. But we'll discuss that with Warren Davidson. Uh, that'll be at 10.35. And then at 11.10, Mark Paolette is going to join us. He's one of the co-authors of the book about uh, Clarence Thomas that you probably have heard about. There's a movie, as a matter of fact, as well. Um, it is extraordinarily important. It's called uh, Created Equal. And it it could not be more timely because of what happened on Friday with the um, release of the Roe opinion, the uh, official confirmation, if you will, of the Roe versus Wade overturn. And Clarence Thomas is the target. He didn't write the opinion, just as Samuel Alito did, but Clarence Thomas is the target of the left. And it's interesting. He's the only African-American in the majority of the 6-3 decision. If this was the other way around, the left, or yeah, the left would be accusing the Republicans of, of just out and out blatant racism, targeting one justice out of six who happens to be the only African American. It can't be a, um, coincidence. It can't be by accident. Clearly, they are targeting the one they don't like because he's black. This is what the left is doing. By all of their racial attacks against him, it is very, very clear. So, uh, Clarence Thomas, uh, in his own words, created equal. That's, that's essentially what the book is called. We're going to talk to the co-author of that book about Clarence Thomas coming up at uh, 1110 this morning. So we're loaded up. Jim Jordan, Dr. Everett Piper, Representative Davidson, and Mark Paoletta will be joining us, and I hope you can find a way to squeeze in there. Hit them where they ain't. That's all I can tell you. Hit them where they ain't. All right, 216-901-0945 is the way that you do that. 
888 Either one of those numbers will bring you to me. And then uh, you can also leave your messages for me online at alwayswrite.us. Alwayswrite.us. Make good use of that for me, all right? Make good use of that. Uh, I'm paying for it. It's on my website, and I'm paying for that service so that you can leave a message for me without waiting on hold while I do uh, an interview or take other calls. So this just makes it easy for you to go on, leave your message, I'll play it and respond to it uh, at some point. So make sure you check that out. All right, uh, before we get started today, and we have a lot, again, of news to get to, I want to ask you to stand. If you're a patriot, please face your flag. If you don't have one, I know you wish you did, and you can imagine one. Uh, but go ahead and put your hand on your heart and join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. If you believe in Hollywood fairy tales, if you believe in putting up 25-year-old essentially interns who were 23-year-old interns at the time of January 6th and putting them up there to give triple hearsay without any cross-examination whatsoever and then say, now we have set the table to to, uh, prosecute an ex-president, then you have no idea what the Bill of Rights is. You have no idea what due process is. You have no idea what that flag stands for. As such, you are exempted from pledging your allegiance to it if you so desire. Go ahead and take a knee instead next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, we're going to talk more about this with Jim Jordan, but I want to get into it a little bit now to start the program. Um, and by the way, I am aware that uh, Joe Brandon is uh, in in uh, Spain right now in Madrid doing a press conference to wrap the G7 summit. Uh, I listened to the first six, seven minutes before we came on the air. Nothing of note was said at that point in time. He had not taken questions yet. We will try to monitor that. I know Johnny's going to be monitoring that in uh, in the uh, studio, and uh, if there's anything of note, uh, we will bring it to you, hopefully bring you the audio of it as quickly as we can. But for now, I want to turn to a different kind of audio. I want to turn to Fox News yesterday, and this is not a Tucker Carlson way-to-go Tucker moment. This is a Brett Baer is Chris Wallace 2.0 moment i um i i neglected by choice to share with you the audio of carrie lake the gubernatorial candidate in arizona uh just smashing brett bear a couple of nights ago for his uh, or afternoons ago for his making of a big deal this this issue of carrie lake and a drag queen in arizona claiming that he is friends with her and that he has performed in her house and she's a hypocrite for saying that drag queens are a danger to children first of all the entire argument is ludicrous second of all they focused on that but as carrie lake said you won't focus on two thousand mules you won't focus on the election that was stolen it's it's pretty disgusting she took brett bear apart piece by piece didn't necessarily agree with her approach by the way but she took him apart. And now Brett Baer is is really kind of truly getting into his I am Chris Wallace vibe as he um, discusses the testimony. Um, and I don't even know how to describe her, Cassidy Hutchinson. Like I said, I called her an intern. She's more than an intern. But they want us to believe that this 23-year-old was such a high-profile advisor to the president and to the um uh, to the uh, chief of staff, Mark Meadows, that she has all of the inside information, right? But Cassidy Hutchinson told a tale 
of President Trump grabbing the steering wheel on January 6th of the presidential limo. She described it as being in the beast. Subsequently, we have learned he was not in the beast. Um, But uh, grabbing the steering wheel and saying, we're going to the Capitol, when the Secret Service agent said, no, sir, we have to take you back to the West Wing. We have to take you to the White House and, and where you'll be secure. And didn't like that at all. He reached and grabbed for the throat of the lead secret security agent with one hand while grabbing the wheel with the other hand. I wasn't going to talk about this. I really wasn't. Peter Kirsten now started to talk about it yesterday, and I didn't want to because I didn't want to give it any more credibility. But what Brett Baer did on Fox yesterday in his description of this in almost... It's hard to describe, I guess, the tone with which, and I'll let you hear it for yourself, the tone with which he told this story, but he treated it with the seriousness of this is undeniable. This is irrefutable. This is so compelling. This testimony of this witness, never mind the fact that this witness didn't witness anything, and this witness didn't even witness what somebody else said that they witnessed. This is triple hearsay. Triple hearsay which would be inadmissible in a court of law. And in a manner of speaking, this show trial is being treated by the left as a court of law, the court of public opinion. Was anybody there to drive cement trucks through the holes in her story? Any any Jim Jordan or Jim Banks or anybody else on the committee there to to cross-examine to get to the real truth of this? Not one person, of course. Not one person who would be there to A, defend the president, or B, expose Nancy Pelosi's role in everything that happened on January 6th, they were not allowed, including Jim Jordan, for just this reason, so they can get unrefuted uh, testimony, non-cross-examined testimony from non-witnesses who are being treated as if their word is gold. Because that's what Brett Baer, who has kind of taken up the mantle as the leftist on the Uh, Fox News journalism staff. And by the way, Brett Baer is supposed to be a journalist. He's not a talk show host, opinion maker, the way Sean Hannity is, the way Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson are. They're journalists to a degree in the same way that I am. But I am more of an opinion giver. I am more of a commentator rather than a journalist. Brett Baer fancies himself a journalist, non-biased, And uh, somebody who is supposed to just report the facts, but listen to the way he tells this story, the reverence with which he uh, introduces the testimony given by uh, Cassidy Hutchinson. That that from hearing it firsthand, she says uh, that both of those men requested pardons from the president. I think what you pointed to, Sandra, was uh, the most uh, compelling when she quotes Mark Meadows saying, uh, Pat, you heard the president. He doesn't care. He thinks Mike deserves it. He doesn't think they're doing anything wrong as far as they're literally, literally calling for the vice president to be hung. And then Pat Cipollone says, this is effing crazy, according to Hutchinson. This testimony was very compelling from beginning to end. She obviously had access to all of the players. We are now hearing from the former president on various posts where he questions her uh, Accuracy. He goes after her directly, says he doesn't know who she is, and said he didn't lunge at the Secret Service agent in the Beast. Uh, that didn't happen. He says he didn't throw his lunch against the wall. That didn't happen, and that she's lying. Cassie Hutchinson is under oath on Capitol Hill. Um, the president is on Truth Social, uh, making his statements. What was so compelling, I think, is is how it was laid out. 
we always point out that there's not a pushback, and it would have been great to hear Jim Jordan or some congressman say some other angle to this, but the testimony in and of itself is really, really powerful. So Brett Baer wants you to know that Cassidy Hutchinson was under oath, speaking live to the whole world. Clearly, she must be telling the truth. Donald Trump is speaking on Truth Social, his own little social media platform. (laughs) That can't be trusted. Clearly, Brett Baer wants America to believe that what Donald Trump did was to indeed, in his effort to get Mike Pence hung, he wanted to be there for it, by the way, to take control of the vehicle and force it to drive and force his Secret Service agents to drive to the Capitol instead of delivering him to the West Wing and security. Now, I'm going to make this very, very clear for you. I'm not a journalist. I'm certainly not on the national level of Brett Baer being on Fox News in front of millions of people. I didn't even go to journalism school. I have an English and a communications degree. But I think I can speak with some certainty when I tell you that if you hear from a quote-unquote witness that the President of the United States reached out to attack a Secret Service agent, that it might be in your best interest and in the best interest of the people to whom you are going to report that you corroborate this and verify it with the Secret Service agent. Did the President of the United States grab you, sir? Did the President of the United States at the time, did he reach and grab the steering wheel to try to redirect the, the, the limo, the vehicle to the Capitol? Did any of those things happen, sir? Brett Bear never asks that, just that she has access to all the players, and she was really compelling, and she's under oath, so clearly she must be telling the truth. Does corroboration mean anything to anyone on the American left? Moreover, I would ask you this. Did the committee, Liz Cheney, Betty Tom, did the did the leaders of this Kabuki theater court, did they think, wow, we have an aide to the to the uh, chief of staff, Mark Meadows? Cassidy Hutchinson, ready to say that Donald Trump was so unhinged that he grabbed the steering wheel of the vehicle, that he grabbed at the throat of a Secret Service agent while in that car to try to steer to the Capitol, then was so livid he started throwing dishes and smashing them against a wall? Holy goodness, we have that? Let's talk to that agent. If this is true, we got him. Let's go talk to the agents. Let's confirm what she said. Let's corroborate this, and we've got him. Why didn't they go to corroborate this with the agents? Because they didn't want to have anybody say that never happened. The temptation was just so great to throw this up there in front of the people and let the people see that Donald Trump is an unhinged lunatic who attacks Secret Service members. We don't need to worry about corroboration. Let's just get it out there. And if later on it's going to be corrected, a scant, a a scintilla, a fraction of the number of people who hear Cassidy Hutchinson will hear this agent's uh, denial. And and the lie will live on in the minds of so many, the massive majority who don't hear the denial. 
They didn't want you to know that the agents were ready to tell another the story. The Service so far is not commenting on specifics, but they just informed me that it would like to respond. The Secret Service would like to respond under oath. Two sources familiar with the investigation confirmed that President Trump had requested to go to the Capitol on January 6th and that the Secret Service refused due to security concerns. One of those sources telling me that the president did return to the vehicle after his speech on the morning of January 6th and asked Agent Robert Engel if he could go to the Capitol. Engel said something to the effect of that being unwise or dangerous and that the motorcade was going to take the president back to the White House. A source close to the Secret Service just told me to expect that the Secret Service will push back against any allegation of an assault against an agent or President Trump reaching for the steering wheel. That's ABC News reporter Pierre Thomas. ABC News reporter Pierre Thomas telling you the Secret Service agents are prepared to testify none of that ever happened. But Brett Baer put it on anyway. And Liz Cheney and the rest of those hacks, Adam Schiff and the rest of the January 6th committee, put her up there as if her word was gold. Jim Jordan's going to react to that coming up after the bottom of the hour news. We'll take our time out now, get to that newscast, and talk to Jim Jordan. Coming up, Always Right Radio, online on alwaysright.us, on air, on AM 1420, The Answer. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 937, we continue. Thanks for being with us on this Thursday. Let's listen to it again and listen to the sincerity with which Brett Baer presents Cassidy Hutchinson. This testimony was very compelling from beginning to end. She obviously had access to all of the players. We are now hearing from the former president on various posts where he questions her uh, accuracy. He goes after her directly, says he doesn't know who she is, and said he didn't lunge at the Secret Service agent in the Beast. Uh, That didn't happen. He says he didn't throw his lunch against the wall. That didn't happen, and that she's lying. Cassie Hutchinson is under oath on Capitol Hill. Um, the president is on Truth Social. <laughs> uh, Chris Wallace Jr. is in full effect. Let's bring in Congressman Jim Jordan now to join us on AM 1420. The answer, the good congressman, uh, is normally with us on Mondays. He's been kind enough to reschedule since I was off Monday. Good morning, uh, Mr. Jordan. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Bob. Good to be with you. Happy Fourth of July weekend uh, ahead of time here. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Independence, uh, something we celebrate. Um, yep. So, con- Congressman, I- I'm trying to make a little bit of sense of this. Brett Baer is a seasoned journalist. He's not just a commentator like you know Sean Hannity is a commentator. I'm a commentator. I'm, we're not journalists to the to the uh, you know level that 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 journalism you know rises. Brett Baer is a journalist. Brett Baer just said that. Uh, Donald Trump is lying and that Cassidy Hutchinson is telling the truth. He didn't say that in so many words, but he said she's under oath in front of Capitol Hill. He's on Truth Social. Clearly, she's telling the truth and Donald Trump is lying. I would like to ask you, 
If you were a journalist, the level of Brett Baer or somebody on Fox News like this, and you heard such bombshell testimony, moreover, if you're Liz Cheney or Adam Kinzinger or Adam Schiff or anybody on that committee, and you hear that an, uh, an aide to Mark Meadows uh, overheard this conversation or was told this conversation took place, wouldn't the first thing that you do as either a member of the committee or a journalist is go to those agents, those Secret Service agents, and get corroboration? Yeah. Because they didn't get yeah. squat, Congressman. Nothing. Right. Well, and, and in fact, if you can believe uh, uh, several news reports, those Secret Service agents are willing to come testify and say that what she said uh, to this committee is not accurate uh, at all. Uh, but but, this, but I said this last night on, on, on Sean Hannity. Uh, all we've got from this committee is lie after lie after lie. I mean, they lied about Bernie Kerrick's travels. They lied about Representative Laubermilk's tour of the Capitol. They, they lied about Jenna Ellis's documents. They lied about Eric Hirsch's note. They lied about the Secret Service. They lied about me twice, once when I forwarded a text message, another time when they played only part of a video that took it completely out of context. So mm-hmm. that, that's all we've gotten from them is lie after lie after lie. And understand, Bob, we don't get to sit in on the depositions. We don't get to see the transcripts. We don't get to see any of the, quote, evidence. So if we've caught them in seven lies without getting to see any of that, imagine how many more false things they're telling us, uh, telling the American people. Well, just imagine, better yet, if you were on this committee, which you were appointed to be by Kevin McCarthy and then yeah. booted by Nancy Pelosi, you would have been able to ask questions of Cassidy Hutchinson last yesterday, or two days ago, rather. You would have been able to drive cement trucks through the massive holes in her story, her third-hand hearsay, by the way, third-hand hearsay right. stories uh, that she is telling there, but they didn't want anybody to be able to cross-examine these quote-unquote witnesses in this non-trial trial, because we have to be honest here about it it is this is a trial in the court of public opinion with the intention of of destroying donald trump's chances of running for president again yeah and you would have been able to bring out everything that was brought out in the depositions that that is contrary to what this particular witness was saying if you could have been in the deposition if you could have actually asked questions of the witnesses so uh, th- that's why this is again such a sham but understand the nine people on this committee every single one of them hates President Trump. Every single one of them voted to impeach President Trump. They are, it's all about making sure President Trump can't run for office. I don't think they're going to be successful. I think he is going to run. I think he is going to win. But that, that is, we've never had a committee in the history of the United States Congress that was put together like this one, where you have nine people on one side and no one else from the other party on the other side, no balance, no cross-examination, Nothing like that at all. So there is no way this is about getting to, uh, you know, these are any way unbiased fact finders. This is a biased partisan committee, and the country, I think, understands that. Well, I've described this to you before as, you know, this is a criminal trial with nine prosecutors and zero defense attorneys allowed to speak. That's that's <laughs> yeah. literally what this yeah. is. It, it's, Great way it's, to say it. Yeah, it is completely, uh, uh, you know, uh, beyond beyond uh, anything I've ever, beyond the pale. Now, I, w- I want to get something clear, if you can, and I don't know if you know this or not, but so much of the dispute with respect to Cassidy Hutchinson's story about the limo or about the presidential vehicle is the vehicle. Uh, some are saying, oh my gosh, look at the limo. And there's memes online of the, the size of the limo. The president being way in the back would have no way of reaching a steering wheel. Others are saying, no, 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 he's in an SUV. He could easily have reached up and grabbed the, steer- the, the uh, steering wheel, etc. Now, I don't believe any of it for one second, because again, if it was right. true and they had and, and, and they knew that uh, the, the Secret Service agents would tell the truth under oath, they would have called them up and they would have said, yes, he did grab the 
wheel. Yes, he did grab for, grab grab for the agent, etc. So, Congressman, do you know the part about the vehicle? Was he able to redo? What vehicle were they in? Do you know? I don't know if they were in the, uh, the SUV or the the limousine. Uh, I've actually or the beast. People in... talk about the beast because she she referenced well, that's the beast, like a limo. which is yeah, that's that's. That's like the limousine. It's like that extended limousine, and there's four seats in the back. I've actually been in there with the president, uh, like when he flew to Ohio and and was yeah. at the Lima tank plant. I rode with him from the airport to the to the to the uh, tank plant. So, um, yeah, it, I, I don't know which vehicle it was, uh, but I, I don't believe one bit of it either. I, I, again, it, the Secret Service guys are, 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 if you can believe news reports, are saying it's absolutely false, and they're willing to testify that it's false. But of course, the January sixth committee, because they're all nine against the president didn't actually ask the Secret Service people and corroborate any of, of her testimony. Yeah, and, and I played an ABC News clip, by the way, of them saying that sources are telling them that the Secret Service are, pre- are prepared to testify, yep. that none of that ever yep. happened. So this isn't just Fox News. They can't say it's defense of the president's or But I just ask about the vehicle because I have never, ever, ever seen or even imagined a situation in which the president was close enough to the driver of his vehicle <laughs> to reach the steering wheel. Seriously. I mean, he's way in the back yeah, behind bulletproof glass. Probably, I would imagine bulletproof separators between the front and the back of a vehicle in the event that there was an attack up front so that they can't get through to the president. I mean, the security has to be just beyond, you know, any of our comprehension there. And they want us to believe that it's just like he was riding shotgun and reached over and jerked the wheel. Uh, it- yeah, it makes no sense. And, 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 and remember, these I've, I've had the privilege to be around some of these Secret Service guys, and they are the most professional. I mean, they're just great American patriots. Um, Mark Meadows, a good friend of mine, and and uh, the the uh, Secret Service guys who are around him, just the politest, nicest gentlemen, and and willing to to do you know that job is you know God bless them with the courage and the and the and what they do. So I, I don't believe a bit of it. But uh, again, you know the press was all too eager to run with it. Yeah, and 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 last thing you you about this anyway. You 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 said that you think this is going to backfire. I think you're right, and here's why. Um, you are all in on President Trump. You have said repeatedly on this show and on TV whenever I see you that you believe he's going to run and you believe he will win. And I'm not as certain. I, I am I'm open to the suggestion of Ron DeSantis or somebody else to carry the, the America First agenda uh, that President Trump started uh, forward. So I'm, I'm not as sold as you are. But I'll tell you what, I see stories like this where they're trying to frame him with so much obvious misinformation and so much obvious, you know, so many obvious things they did or didn't do. Like, I don't get corroboration from the agents who were identified by this woman um, and, and it could make me come to his defense and I want Donald Trump to yep. run and I want him to win and I think there's probably yep. millions of Americans who might be lukewarm on Donald Trump again who are saying this is ridiculous go Donald go yeah and never forget he got more done did more what he said he would do than any president in history and he did it with everyone in that town against him everyone every Democrat was against him uh, uh, everyone in the mainstream press was against him a uh, bunch of Republicans were against him, and most importantly, all the bureaucracy, all the, the swamp was against him, and still he delivered for the American people and did what he said he would do. I want that attitude. Frankly, we need that attitude, that, that kind of leader. We, we, we need that, uh, particularly now what we see what the, what, what the left has been able to, you know, all the bad things they've done to the country in the last 18 months. 
Yeah, and you know, it's it's kind of funny. You talk about all the obstacles President Trump faced. Uh, Joe Biden is facing none of that, and yet he's still crying. New numbers are out. Uh, the lowest approval rating ever, lower than President Trump's facing all of those obstacles. And Joe Biden is complaining that the press isn't giving him a fair shake. He's not getting enough of a, <laughs> uh, of, of a fair shake. Meanwhile, meanwhile, he's going to the G7, and he's being confronted by the President of France, who, who whispers to him, hoping it's out of microphone range, maybe, maybe not, yeah. and says, by the way, if you expect the Saudis to bail you out of this energy crisis, they can't. They can't imp- increase their production much more than it already is. The, the news yeah. just gets worse for Joe Biden, and it is all of his own doing, Congressman. He yeah. is the one who made right. the policy decisions that put us in this uh, energy inflationary crisis we're in. Yeah, it's all intentional. And it's, it, it, you know, that'll be the metaphor for the Biden administration. It's, it, it, uh, the president of the United States begging Saudi Arabia, begging OPEC, begging Iran, begging Venezuela to increase production. When just two years ago we were energy independent, we had you know two and three dollar gas compared to the five and six dollar gas we have now. That is the Biden administration in a nutshell. That's how bad they are. Uh, and 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 again, it, it it goes further than that. You know, we went from we've talked about this many times a secure border to complete chaos. We don't have a border. We went from stable prices to record inflation, 41-year high inflation. We went from safe streets to record crime. We, we are embarrassed, uh, embarrassment in foreign policy, and I haven't even got into what they're doing to our First Amendment and Second Amendment liberty. So that, that, that's why more than 7 out of 10 of our fellow citizens think the country's headed in the wrong direction. It's because they think that because it's the truth, and it's there because of the intentional decisions, bad decisions by Joe Biden and his administration. Yeah, and and he wants to try to offset the negative approval or negative ratings that he is getting by by easing the prices a little bit, but not by drilling, not by opening pipelines, not by yep. granting new leases, but by asking our foreign, in many cases, adversaries to increase their output instead. Apparently, that doesn't affect the planet the way it would be if we drilled in North America. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Roe and the fallout. Not, I mean, look. Pro-lifers like you and like me, we celebrated the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Pro-deathers are livid and they're angry about it. And it's one thing for us to debate, discuss, even yell at one another over it. That's okay. But when, Congressman Jim Jordan, will the Department of Justice, you're on the Judiciary Committee, when will the Department mm-hmm. of Justice act on the terrorist attacks? There have been 37 attacks on either pro-life pregnancy centers or on churches since the release, the, the leak of the draft opinion back in May, and it is only getting worse. When will the DOJ try to restore some law and order so that we don't have more violence and vandalism? I, I mean, I just don't expect it from from this DOJ because they're so political, um, most political in history. And um, you know, when 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 you will when when you will choreograph a a memorandum from the from the Justice Department when a left wing group can talk to the White House and get that all put into place to go after parents and use counterterrorism measures against moms and dads. When you're willing to do that, then I don't know that we can expect that you're ever going to make the right decision, and you're not going to base it all on politics. So. Uh, but the decision last week, understand what that decision was. That was the Supreme Court said the Constitution means what it says. It was a win for life. It was a win for the sanctity and preciousness of human life. It was a win for the Constitution. It was a win for common sense. And maybe just as importantly, it was a win over the intimidation tactics of the left. Everything they tried to do to intimidate the court, all the way back to the Kavanaugh confirmation, to Schumer on the steps of the Supreme Court, to the leak of the draft opinion, to Nadler introducing uh, a pack the court legislation last year uh, to, to the to the things that they posted about Coney Barrett where our kids go to school. All that intimidation 
the court said, no, we're going to stand up for human life. We're going to stand up for the Constitution. And that is a good day for this great country. Well, and, you know, the most important part of what you just said is the last part. Not that it's not important to stand up for human life, but they basically said we're not making a decision on human life because that's not our yeah. role. It, we, we, yeah. are, we are the judiciary. We, we are not the legislative branch. This needs to be decided by legislators who can be chosen by the people so the people can decide what human life you know, value they place on human life. And that's exactly all they did. The left is framing this as the Supreme Court running out of AOC said that they're delegitimized because they're they're running around unchecked. They checked themselves by saying this isn't up to us. This should be up to the people of every state. Yep. Yeah, they sure did, and that that that's where that's where it's at. But um, you know this this is fifty years of the pro life community um, doing the the great work they do, doing the crisis pregnancy centers, doing the work, helping people, and and talking about the precious sanct- the sanctity of life itself. Um, and then to get this great decision, and you're right, in, in the end, this decision is truly leaving it in the political realm and, and saying to states, you're going to decide, your state legislatures are going to decide, and your governors are going to decide where, where, where that line is. Uh, you and I happen to think that life begins at conception and should be protected, but different states are going to do it differently. But it, overall, it is a win for the Constitution. Exactly, which is which is which is all we ask for is is to be guided by the founding document of this country. Congressman Jim Jordan, chair, uh, uh, excuse me, ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. Thank you, sir, for the work you do. We'll you talk bet. to you again on Tuesday. Enjoy your holiday weekend. You too. Thanks, Bob. Thanks very much. That's uh, Jim Jordan on AM fourteen twenty. The answer it is, uh, of course, Independence Day weekend, the fourth. Um, uh, on Monday, we will uh, not have a live show. We will have a best-of show for you, and that means we will have uh, Jim Jordan on Tuesday the 5th with us next time around. Okay, it's 9.53, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 9.57, thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. So, uh, and thanks to Jim Jordan, by the way. Great conversation. A lot of very important material there. If you missed that conversation, it'll be posted on uh, uh, alwaysright.us probably within the hour, within an hour, not the hour, which is only two minutes longer. Uh, uh, real quick, the last conversation, or part of our conversation, uh, was about Roe and the overturn last week. Uh, as you can imagine, we are looking for as many opinions as possible about uh, about what happened and about what we are looking like going forward in our state. Every state has to do this now because this has been justly returned to the states. Well, in the state of Ohio, we have something called the heartbeat bill. Uh, if a heartbeat, a fetal heartbeat is detected, there is now a second body. This is no longer just a woman and her doctor over the woman's body. There is another body, and that body deserves to be protected as well. See, human beings don't have two hearts. Human beings have just one heart. A second heartbeat indicates a second human being, right? That's fair enough. Well, in the state of Ohio, that's the law. Unfortunately, not everybody believes in the law, including prosecutors who were sworn to uphold the law. Mike O'Malley is the uh, Cuyahoga County prosecutor, and he has made a declaration that he will not uphold that law. He will not enforce that law. So we reached out to O'Malley's office to see if he would come on and talk about that. They declined, as you can imagine, because they don't want to take any serious questions about the responsibility and the rights of people to have the law upheld by their elected officials, including prosecutors. They dismissed us with a 
Prosecutor O'Malley has joined the nearly 90 elected prosecutors from across the country. 90, really? Out of thousands? In signing on to the Fair and Just Prosecution's joint statement from elected prosecutors regarding the U.S. Supreme Court's decision on Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. We respectfully decline to comment or interview further at this time. Well, I'm not surprised by that. But I just want you to know that. That that is what's going on and that is what happened. They will not answer questions for which they have no answers from interviewers who are going to make sure that those questions are asked. But just so you know, the prosecutor in Cuyahoga County refuses to uphold Ohio law. Do with that, Cuyahoga County residents, what you wish. 10 o'clock, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The answer. Onward we roll on this this uh, Thursday, hour number two. It's nine minutes after ten o'clock on the thirtieth and final morning of the month of June. Thank goodness in the year of our Lord twenty twenty two. As I said at the top of the show, and I'll say again now, the month of recruitment, the month of grooming, the month of indoctrination is ending. And uh, I hope you understand the severity of what just happened. Uh, joining us now to talk about maybe that and a little bit more of the culture wars is our good friend, Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper is a columnist for the Washington Times. He is a best-selling author. He's a former university president and also the host of the Rebellion podcast, which you should check out wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. Dr. Piper, it's good to have you back on the program this morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bob. Thank you for having me on. First and foremost, tell us how the knee is doing. I told everybody you were out a little bit and want to give away, give away too much of your personal story, but you did have to undergo a little <laughs> procedure uh, uh, this this past week. You doing all right? I, I am. As as I told you, I don't know what you told told your audience, but uh, I went to get on one of my horses oh, about a week ago. Um, and when I went to get on her, she's a big horse, so I have to stretch to get my uh, leg up in the stirrup. I right. tore my meniscus, Ooh. and um, I was down big time. And uh, I think it was three days later, four days later, I was in surgery, had it scoped. The meniscus is repaired, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually feeling pretty good, a little stiff and sore. But uh, it's amazing what these Oklahoma uh, surgeons, these uh, witch doctors in Oklahoma can actually <laughs> do to you. <laughs> you know, from what from what I know, Kevin Costner never hurt his knee climbing up climbing up on one of his, his uh, horses in Yellowstone. Well, you know, he's had all that plastic surgery and all that stem cell <laughs> injection. You know, I can't afford that stuff. <laughs> all right, uh, Doctor Piper, so good to have you back. I'm glad you're doing well, and I'm glad you're feeling better too. Uh, so, congrats on a successful uh, surgery and procedure. A little bit has happened since you and I last spoke, um, and I think uh, I think I'm going to give you some some you know wide latitude here to kind of discuss this as you will with respect to the decision uh, handed out by well a couple of important decisions that I would like to get your thoughts on. Uh, obviously, Roe uh, being overturned on Friday is monumental this past Friday, but uh, a couple of a uh, couple of days uh, uh, after that, we found out, or maybe it was the next day, we found out that there was another victory for religious liberty. And that one involved Coach Joe Kennedy 
being allowed to kneel and say a prayer on a football field after his team had just played a game. Now, this has been about seven years in the fight, uh, all the way through getting this to the Supreme Court. Can uh, a person use his First Amendment rights under two clauses, freedom of speech and also freedom to practice his religion in the presence of other people, uh, which is essentially what the fight was. So a couple of huge victories there, and they both have to do, in a manner of speaking, with the perceived separation of church and state. And I know that's what you wrote about this past week. So why don't you take it from there in whatever direction you wish? Well, not only are those two cases uh, directly tied into this wall of separation between church and state that we hear so much about today. We've heard about it for decades now. Uh, The left has predominantly captured that side of the argument. Well, you know, they say, there's a wall separating the church from the state, and therefore the church needs to stay out of the business of the state. And in fact, in Carson versus Macon, a decision that was handed down this month from the Supreme Court, another victory for religious freedom, Justice Roberts wrote this. He said to exclude religious persons from the enjoyment of public benefits on the basis of their anticipated religious use of those benefits is a violation of the First Amendment. So Roberts was saying you can't tell religious people that they can't use public benefits to engage in the public square just because they're going to use those benefits in a religious way. It would be akin to saying, well, you get your Social Security check. You can't use that Social Security check or any portion thereof to tithe to your local church because you're using public benefits for a religious purpose. Roberts is saying that's nonsense. That's not what the First Amendment is about. But you have Sotomayor who comes in and says that she disagrees. Now, this was in Carson versus Macon, which was a school choice issue up in Maine. Sotomayor disagrees with the majority and with Roberts, and she says, as she wrings her hands and bemoans, today the court leads us to a place of dismantling the wall of separation between church and state that our framers fought to build. So here's what I want to point out to everybody. Yes, there is a First Amendment. What does it say? Well, James Madison wrote it in 1791, and it says this, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's pretty clear. You can't prohibit anybody from exercising their religion. Congress can't do that. Well, what he's telling us is that the establishment clause, i.e., Congress can't establish a religion, tell you what religion you have to be a part of, nor can it tell you that you can't express your religion in the public square, is codified in our Constitution. Well, you know that 11 years later, Thomas Jefferson, who's now the third president of the United States, comes along because there are a bunch of nervous Baptists up in Connecticut, Danbury, Connecticut, to be exact, and they think the government, by virtue of this new constitution, is going to intrude into their business. And Jefferson writes him a letter, and he says, no, the government can't intrude into your business. And this is his exact language. I contemplate with utmost reverence that act which declared that the legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. And that's where we get this language. It's from that, that, that uh, letter that Jefferson wrote. But what's his point? Here's my point. You know where I'm going to go with this. Yes, I do. Jefferson, Jefferson did say there's a wall. But what's the wall for? The wall 
is not a prison confining the church. It's a fortress protecting the church. And there's a door in the wall, as there's a door in the wall to your home. And the key is held on the inside by you. You can open the door from your home, exit the walls that protect you, and you can go about your daily business shopping, engaging in your work, and engaging in the public square. You can debate, you can have a conversation, you can do what you want to do, and then you go back into your home at night and you can lock the door to protect you, not to protect culture. So the left has this backwards. Jefferson was saying, yeah, there's a wall, but church members, you Baptists in Danbury, Connecticut, you're protected from the government. It can't breach your wall. You hold the key. You can use the key, open the door, and go about your daily business and free and feel free to do so, but then go back in. When you're done, shut the door and keep the government out of your life. That's the point of the wall, and we need to remember that. Justice Sotomayor would do well to remember that we've got dozens upon dozens of founding fathers, the framers, as she calls them, that have told us that our Constitution is made only for a moral and religious people and is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And I could go on and on, but I'm going to take a breath here. That quote was from Adams. The point is nobody in our framers, in, in the framers' era, and those that established our constitutional republic felt the church should be refrained from engaging culture. What they did believe is that the government should be restrained from intruding into the business of the church. Yeah, I, I have not heard anybody put it that way other than in your column. And, and I want to go back. You know, you, you obviously referenced Carson versus Macon as your, as your point of reference in establishing this point about the wall between church and state. But I, I, I still want to stick with Coach Kennedy, Coach Joe Kennedy in that case that was, that was, that opinion, uh, that was delivered because, to to borrow your you know your 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 metaphor, I can walk out of my home, uh, as you say that that is protected by the wall that has the door. Then I have the key, and I can go out into the culture and into the public and bring my religion with me and pray the way Joe Kennedy did, Coach Kennedy did on that field, and and not be uh, sanctioned for it, not be punished for it, not be told that I cannot do that, and then retreat back into my home and where I can continue to do those things if I wish. But that wall, as you point out, stops the culture from coming into my house and saying, knock that off, you can't pray, you can't do anything here. So the wall is a necessary one, as you say, to protect our rights to be religious, it forces no one to be religious. Correct. And it, let's go into the framers that support what you just said. And by the way, the only reason I mentioned the school choice case rather than the other cases that you're mentioning right now is I wrote the article before the decisions were made on these other cases, <laughs> such as Roe and such as uh, the coach. But the principle applies to all of them. You know, in the Northwest Ordinance that George Washington signed, he said this. Let me find it here. I've got to find it. Okay, here it is. That in the Northwest Ordinance that was signed by George Washington, he is saying, quote, religion and morality are necessary to good government. Does that sound like he thinks the church should stay out of government? No. He's saying that religion and the consequent morality of Christian faith, he's talking about Christianity right now, is necessary if we're going to have good government. James Henry, excuse me, McHenry, who signed the Declaration of Independence, said, the Holy Scriptures can alone secure to society 
order and peace and to our courts of justice and constitutions of government, purity, stability, and usefulness. Again, we've got one of the framers that's saying we're not going to have a civil society. We're not going to have good government or moral order if we tell the church to stay out of the business of culture or of government. We need the church engaged in culture in order to have good government. And that comes straight from the framer named George Washington. Well, you bring George Washington and James McHenry, and I'll retort with Whoopi Goldberg and Joy Behar, because they were on The View all week long complaining about how the separation of church and state is null and void now, that the Supreme Court destroyed it because they are allowing Christians to run the country. They are essentially saying Roe was decided by Christianity. Roe was decided by six Christians who are trying to impose their will in violation of the Establishment Clause on the people. That is the way they see it. How do you respond to them? Well, their assumption is is that uh, they are without religion, and it's only the Christians who are religious. Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg have a religion just as much as anybody else. It's called wokeism. It's called progressivism. It's called worshiping the God you see in the mirror rather than the God that's revealed in nature and in Scripture. Everybody embraces a worldview. Everybody believes in a worldview that makes commentary on the origin of man, the nature of man, the redemption of man, and the responsibility of man. You can claim to be agnostic, but you still hold opinions on those critical questions. Where do we come from? What is our nature? What is our responsibility? And how do we fix the problem? That's a religion, Whoopi. That's a religion joy. I just happen to believe that my religion, quote unquote, that has been tested by time, confirmed by reason, validated by experience, and revealed by revelation is a better religion and has proven itself over the millennia to work better than yours. So don't tell me that you believe that only I am religious. You are just as religious as I am, only you have a particularly bad one. Uh, that's very well said. And speaking of the religion of wokeism, Dr. Piper, we'll take our time out here so that on the other side we can come back and talk a little bit about what the woke Christian response to Roe versus Wade has been. It's, uh, it's extraordinary, and I know you have some important thoughts on that to share. So we'll continue. 1022, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1024 now. We do continue with Dr. Everett Piper on Always Right Radio, online at alwaysright.us. Dr. Piper, I was talking with Jim Jordan, a congressman and a ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee last hour, and we were talking about when the Department of Justice is going to do something to protect pregnancy centers and literal health centers, um, which I distinguish from Planned Parenthood abortion clinics. These are not health centers at all uh, because they don't bring about health. They bring about death. But uh, pregnancy centers and pro-life centers and churches, 37 separate attacks that are known as of now since the release or the leak, rather, of the draft opinion back in May uh, on the overturning of Roe. Um, the left has just underscored their their reputation, I think, as the party of death the party of violence, the party that resorts to, um, you know, this, these types of behaviors when they can't win, uh, you know, in, in a debate on uh, of the ideas and of ideologies. It's very, very dangerous. And sadly, I know you've noticed uh, there are a lot of Christians who have involved themselves in this behavior. Your thoughts? 
One, you know, this is a pet peeve of mine. Obviously, I've I've commented on it repeatedly on your show. I, I get very aggravated with my own, and I think I have the obligation and the responsibility to call out my own. I'm an evangelical. I'm a born again believer. I'm a Christian, and when I say people that carry, excuse me, when I see people that carry the same label saying stupid things, I just can't keep my mouth shut. Well, right after the Roe decision, there's a pastor in the Midwest of a church that's over 2,000, if I, if I understand it correctly. He's a member of the Wesleyan Church, mm-hmm. a holiness church, an evangelical church, and he tweeted this, and I want people to listen. He tweeted, okay, Christians, we have a choice right now. This political bi- victory for those who are pro-life isn't a victory for everyone. If we are really, truly for all life, let's be for those who have all different perspectives on this issue. And let's truly love like Jesus. Let's be ready to stand with those who are hurting right now and truly be for them. Please, I'm begging you, he says, let's choose a posture that is truly pro-life and not just anti-abortion, close quote. Now, (laughs) honestly, Bob, I think that's one of the most shallow and poorly reasoned comments I've heard on this issue. I mean, first of all, really, a political victory? That's all this is? Well, tell that to the untold millions of boys and girls who are now going to be spared the fate of having their bodies torn asunder and their legs and their arms and their heads severed without the benefit of anesthesia. This is just a political victory? You know, I might argue that it's a moral imperative. What the heck are you talking about? And then second... All true Christians are now obligated to prove our pro-life credentials by being for those who have all different perspectives on this issue. I mean, would this guy have said the same to those who stood against the execution of Jews in the furnaces of Auschwitz? Would he have said, if you want to prove your pro-Jewish cred, you need to stand for all of those who have different perspectives on this issue. Uh, This is nonsense. How about slavery? Uh, Would this guy up in South Dakota, this pastor, have stood um, up for antebellum slave owners and said, hey, we need to be for those who have different perspectives on buying and selling and owning other human beings as chattel and as property? I, I, I could go on and on. The inconsistencies here are stark, and I really get aggravated when somebody says, hey, let's love like Jesus loved. Really? Well, let's read some of the final words of Jesus in the Bible. Revelation 21. This is Jesus speaking right now when he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Outside are the cowardly, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. That's Jesus talking right now, the Alpha and Omega. He is not a guy that just gives us a great big group hug when we're out executing children just because we find them inconvenient. Outside are the cowardly, the murderers, and the sexually immoral. Jesus says that. So if we're going to love like Jesus, then maybe we should love people enough to tell them to stop killing other human beings, and maybe we should celebrate the fact that we've loved children enough to protect them from this butchery. You know, Dr. Piper, the most, well, one of the most frustrating things about all of that, you know, is, is, is that it is expected only in the one direction. And whether it's, you know, your peers, as you say, uh, people who, you know, carry the same label, uh, you know, as Christians, uh, as Protestants or, or as Catholics, it doesn't matter. We are the only ones expected to do that. Um, 
to 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 just express ourselves to them without violence rather than attacking those who attack babies while rather than burning down uh and there were there were back in i want to say it was in the it was in the late 70s i can't remember when there were some attacks on pregnancy center or excuse me on abortion clinics uh radical you know religious zealots uh trying to burn down abortion clinics and that is not the right way either we are the ones who are expected and we live up to it 99 percent of the time to just try to pray for those who are committing these terrible atrocities maybe try to reason with them and to tell them the error of their ways uh but not say hey your your view is just as just as ours because it isn't just to tear apart babies so the quotes from jesus you just you just used in the bible of course underscore that but that's that's the frustrating part is we try to do it the right way and they do it the most violent way and um Sadly, they're 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 effective in many ways. And this ridiculous ridiculous response from my evangelical buddy up in South Dakota suggests a moral equivalency between their agenda and the biblical agenda. There is no moral equivalency here, and we need to be prepared to say that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, not to speak is to speak and not to act is to act. Silence in the face of this stuff is evil, and we need to recognize our obligation to call it out and to stand for justice and not muddy up the waters by suggesting that, well, we're all kind of just disagreeing on these issues. We need to love like Jesus loved. Jesus confronts sin. There's a there's such a thing as tough love, and we need to recognize that when we're confronting those people that are being uh, that are doing harm to innocent human beings. Exactly right, and that's that's part of the solution is calling them out. Yes, it will be a debate. Yes, there will be discussion. Calling them out and not just saying, "Well, you have your view and I have mine." Well, we'll go about our day while evil is perpetrated on the most defenseless citizens among us, which of course are the preborn. Dr. Everett Piper, great conversation as always. Thank you so much for your enlightenment. We look forward to talking to you again next week. All right, blessings. Bye-bye. 1032, a little late to the news, but we're there now. We'll come back. Uh, Congressman Warren Davidson going to join us next. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on The Answer. Online at alwaysright.us. Make sure you check it out. News stories of the day are published and uh, kind of kind of uh, gathered together for you all in one place. Conservative news and views. The latest stories are up, including the Supreme Court made two more announcements. Two more decisions were released today. Uh, one of them is a terrific and an enormous deal as uh, they dealt the Biden climate agenda a huge blow with their EPA decision. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. Also, the bad news, the Supreme Court gave Biden a victory. The remain in Mexico policy of the Trump administration era uh, is now considered unconstitutional. So uh, they cannot force illegal aliens who are coming from uh, other countries seeking asylum, uh, they cannot force them to wait in Mexico while their asylum cases are heard. So we're going to talk about those and a little bit more with our next guest. I want to welcome uh, Congressman Warren Davidson, Ohio's 8th Congressional District, to our program to talk a little bit about the backlash and the ramifications of some of these huge decisions and what it means here in the state of Ohio, particularly as it pertains to uh, abortion regulations in the wake of the Roe versus Wade overturn. Uh, Congressman Davidson, good to have you on the program here in Cleveland from 
from uh, the the uh, southern portion of our state, Cincinnati, Dayton area. It's good to have you. How are you, sir? Always an honor. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. It's a pleasure. Um, so there, there's so many things to talk about here. We could do this for an hour, but I'm just going to try to try to pinpoint some of the highlights here. Roe, of course, did not outlaw abortion as much as the left wants to say that the Supreme Court of the United States just overstepped its boundaries by declaring abortion illegal and outlawing it. They did not, of course. They simply said it's up to you, the American people, to decide whether you want to have abortion restrictions or no limitations in your state. You do so by choosing your legislators and they can make up their minds. That's how a constitutional republic works. So here we are. We're in the state of Ohio. We already have a heartbeat bill. Uh, we are expecting it to be triggered uh, by the overturn of Roe. And the people if the, of the state of Ohio who have decided that a second heartbeat means there's a second body present there, and it's no longer just a woman's body and her doctor, now that there's another body in play here, that should be considered. And if the people don't like it in our state, they can they can elect new representatives to the Ohio State House and uh, and change that around. That's how it's supposed to work, is it not? Yeah, I mean, that's what they tried to make clear is there's no constitutionally protected right to an abortion. And mm-hmm. therefore, you know, the the Ninth Amendment kicks in. It says that uh, not all the rights that you may have in America are enumerated in the Constitution. And then the Tenth says those not enumerated are reserved to the states. So that's, you know, a validation of our form of government. And, uh, you know, there were people that were rooting for the, the court to look at the Fourteenth Amendment and say that no one can be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process and life would be a right to life recognized in the 14th amendment they didn't go that far you know from the left you would think that's what they did uh the the way the court decided uh, nothing really is going to change in california or new york but uh, right. it hasn't stopped uh, rioting and looting and uh, you know uh, you know really outrageous uh, statements and actions there uh, but in Ohio, you know, things are going to change, and we're going to go to, you know, what our legislature has passed, our governor signed the heartbeat bill, and uh, that will effectively uh, limit a lot of abortions and save a lot of lives. How do you feel, I know this isn't something you can control uh, as a member of Congress, but how do you feel about the number of corporations and uh, other entities that are saying, well, if you can't get an abortion in the state we're in, we'll pay for you to travel to get one in another state where you can do it. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers come to mind. I don't know if the Reds down there or the Bengals or any other organizations from the professional sports angle, but I'm bringing up the Cavs because they did that a couple of days ago, joining Dick Sporting Goods and just countless numbers of corporations saying, we want you to still be able to have your abortions. We'll pay for you to go get them. Yeah, I mean, I think two things there. One is abortion isn't health care. Uh, certainly uh, all, all the babies unanimously agree that uh, this is not health care. It's very unhealthy for them. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I don't think that the corporations should be it, – it would be treated as taxable income to the individual uh, and, frankly, shouldn't be able to be expensed by the corporation. Uh, but that's not that's not clear enough in our law. Maybe we'll work on something about that at the federal level that may deter it. But sure, they're free to spend their money doing those things. And frankly, you know, um, it, it's in their financial best interest to do that because uh, having their uh, women, um, you know, take uh, paternity leave and uh, you know have family family medical policies is far more expensive than what they're offering them. Uh, to abort their babies and prevent them from having a family. So, uh, you know, you would think the left would say this is just uh, uh, soulless corporate greed that's doing this, but instead they're celebrating it because it's all couched as uh, 
you know, some sort of woke uh, virtue signal. Uh, first of all, uh, very presumptuous of you to say women in such a casual manner. Are you sure you didn't mean pregnant persons? Yeah, I'm pretty confident that uh, only women can be pregnant. <laughs> Well, you were one step up on the new Supreme Court justice who will be sworn in in a couple of hours uh, officially, uh, Ketanji Jackson, who could not make such a statement. But I digress. Uh, going back to the, I, I talked to an attorney on this program yesterday. We're talking to Congressman Warren Davidson, if you just tuned us on. I talked to an attorney yesterday about this, and I wanted to ask about it from a discrimination standpoint. If I'm a, if I'm a in fact, I'll just do the same example I did. Uh, two 30-year-old women working at the same level at the same organization, a professional sports organization or a grocery store, I don't care. They're at the same level. Both of them get pregnant. One of them says, you know what? I don't want to have this baby, but I can't get it aborted here. And the company says, here's four grand for your travel expenses and for your procedure. Go get it done. The other one says, I'm having my baby, and that's really expensive, too. How can she not be offered the same four grand to help her baby live if the company is giving the other woman four grand to go kill her child? Well, I think a lot of people would say that the company is already giving uh, you know, more than four grand normally. Uh, to people that take maternity leave uh, or paternity leave. And so, you know, some companies uh, will, the Family Medical Leave Act doesn't doesn't inherently require paid family leave. Most of these big corporations have paid family leave, not just six weeks, but in some cases 12. And so, you know, they're paying a more generous benefit, and that's only for paternity. Uh, that hasn't been challenged or stopped. So, you know, I think they would probably treat it at parity. Yeah, I, I I understand that. That's healthcare, though, and those plan those are those are written into the laws, and those are written into into health plans and premiums to cover maternity leave expenses and so forth. But when we're talking about paying for a medical procedure to 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 abort a child, to kill a child, versus paying for you know the hospital bills and so forth, and quite frankly, the other expenses that aren't covered by those things, building a nursery, you know, uh, uh, in terms of uh, you know uh, um, remodeling the home for 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 those kinds of things, all of the Different things going to having a child get very very expensive beyond what health insurance covers and beyond medical or uh, maternity leave. I, I'm just looking for a check. You know, you're giving her four grand to go kill her baby. I got to raise my baby. Give me four grand on top of uh, uh, the you know the uh, the benefits that, that that come with my position. Yeah, I think people are going to push back on this uh, culturally, but I think a lot of people see it for what it is. It's it's, uh, it's uh, you know couched as a virtue signal, but it's really just total financial self-interest by the corporations yeah. because, uh, you know, it does in the long run cost them less to employ, uh, you know, young people who don't uh, don't raise families uh, versus, you know, people who, who do. And so they want, they want all your time that they can get. They want all your attention that they can get. And, uh, you know, I think people put off uh, having kids. You know, people make those decisions. I hope more people will choose life. Uh, they'll raise families. You know, it's almost like there's uh, this idea that, you know, we should all be fruitful and multiply. So hopefully we'll see that happen in our country and our culture. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree. We're talking to uh, Congressman Warren Davidson, Ohio 8, down in uh, Cincinnati, Dayton area. Um, some of your colleagues have been very, very outspoken in promoting what I believe is is violence in the streets. Um, they pledged a night of rage back when the leaked um, uh, opinion was, or the opinion was leaked rather, the draft opinion was leaked. They said there would be a night of rage on the night that Roe was overturned, and then it's turned into a summer of rage because there have been 37 separate attacks in some form or another on pregnancy centers, pro life centers, and churches. 
Um, and some of your colleagues are, are screaming into microphones to get in the streets. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez among them. Uh, so many others saying, we will not comply, we will defy. And it is leading to attacks on those centers, as I mentioned, but also on police officers, also on uh, innocent people who hold a different opinion. When is our Department of Justice at the federal level going to step in and try to return law and order to our streets uh, in response to this, Congressman? Well, uh, I, I, I got to say I'm sad that I don't think that uh, there's going to be any effort by Merrick Garland to do his duty. He hasn't done that on very many fronts at all. Uh, and, you know, frankly, you see, you know, rhetoric from colleagues, uh, you know, Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Maxine Waters, uh, others. And, frankly, one of the ones I'm disturbed about is uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin says, you know, we're not going to comply with this. We're a federal agency, so we're going to support our people getting abortions. Uh, anyway, and not in Ohio, you're not, not outside of uh, our heartbeat bill. And, uh, you know, I think the, the, the politicization of our military, uh, should concern us all. I oppose Lloyd Austin's uh, waiver to become Secretary of Defense. And every time I see the guy talk, I feel better about that vote. Uh, unfortunately, he's still our Secretary of Defense. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, Congressman, let me get to a couple of other quickies here uh, while I've got you on the line, and I really appreciate you making the time. We've been anticipating this one. And as monumental as Roe is because of the culture aspect and because of the life aspect, this one might actually turn out to be more impactful. The Supreme Court decision today, uh, siding with West Virginia versus the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, not just because of what this particular uh, decision does. It's a 6-3 decision. Um, that essentially says the EPA cannot pass sweeping regulations and uh, destroy other, uh, you know, f- uh, fossil fuel uh, companies uh, based on b- based on their own volition, but they have to bring Congress into the equation here. The people and their legislators have a say, but that has a bigger, broader potential impact, doesn't it? If the EPA can't do it, then the CDC can't do it. Then the NLRB can't do it. Uh, Then other alphabet organizations that essentially have been acting as lawmakers can't do that without the approval of the actual lawmakers anymore. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I just was reading this uh, uh, decision, uh, you know, when when this uh, 10.30 came out, I think at 10 o'clock or just after. And so, uh, reading through it, what's clear is that they, there's nothing in the uh, Clean Air Act that, that, that treats carbon dioxide as some, you know, dangerous, uh, you know, byproduct. Mm-hmm. So they don't have uh, language that gives them the ability to regulate carbon dioxide. And they had already uh, struck down the Clean Power Plan uh, under the Obama administration. So that, that was not a, a valid law, uh, not constitutional. And so... Um, they tried to go at it in a different way. So they couldn't pass their Green New Deal kind of uh, war on carbon, uh, which is really just the destroying America's energy sector, uh, as they've promised to. And so this is a huge deal, uh, at least if it just says you can't uh, regulate carbon dioxide by executive action, because it would require collaboration. And there just, there just aren't the votes for the Green New Deal uh, even even in this current uh, environment, and, you know, not by much, but, uh, but they were in the House, but not in the Senate, uh, just by two votes. So hopefully we can we can see you know the legislature actually work. This is a really a question of uh, who has the authority to make decisions more than what should be done, 
And uh, I think that's you know nice to see the court say, hey, our lane isn't to decide what should be done. Our 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 lane is to decide, you know, what does the Constitution, what does the law actually say? And I think it's a real win for our Republican form of government. You know, the Congress makes the laws, the executive branch executes the laws, and uh, hopefully we'll see some sort of collaboration come out of this that uh, is precedent setting, not just for uh, carbon dioxide, but for environmental regulation. The EPA has been kind of out of control more than most agencies. But gosh, just about everything uh, since Barack Obama said, uh, let me govern with a cell phone and a pen, uh, that seems to have become the norm. You know, everything you just said, I completely agree with. Um, but but do you also see it being more expansive, um, the ramifications of this particular opinion? Again, because if they're saying that the EPA can't make such decisions on their own without uh, the contributions of Congress and essentially without Congress passing laws that, that, that you know, regulate these uh, decisions made by the EPA, that the other agencies that are acting almost just strictly with the authority of the executive branch can't do it either. Like I said, the CDC can't force anything down our throats anymore just because they have the president's approval. They're going to have to go to the Congress to pass, for example, a mandate like the ones uh, that they tried to push through in the past two years. Yeah, I, I certainly hope that that's uh, how broad the language goes. I haven't made it through the entire uh, you know, court, court opinion. Uh, but I did get to the part where they basically said there's nothing in the underlying Clean Air Act that gives uh, gives the EPA the ability to regulate carbon dioxide. So that part's clear to me. Uh, you know, I just shared something on my uh, uh, official Facebook page about that. Uh, and, uh, you know, even that's a win. But hopefully it's a real – I mean, we've tried for the RAINS Act for a while, which would say if you're going to implement – um, you know, a rule in an executive agency that has a massive impact on our economy, then it comes back to Congress for approval. Uh, you know, in that sense, kind of, you know, any, any, anybody in a corporate environment would know that some decisions, uh, require board approval. This would come back to Congress. This needs to flip the Chevron deference. And so hopefully this is a major blow, if not a death blow to Chevron deference, because even when Congress passes a law, uh, the courts have previously said, well, the agency's uh, viewpoint is considered preeminent, even over Congress, when the language is pretty clear. Uh, and I, I, it could go on about all kinds of cases where Congress has passed a law, we think it's pretty clear, and then the lawyers at the executive branch come back and say, well, our lawyers don't think that's what it means. <laughs> well, guess what? Those lawyers are not elected, and neither are the EPA regulators or anybody else. Congress is. That's kind of the way it's supposed to work. You, we elected you to speak for us. We elected you to make these decisions, not these unelected bureaucrats in the alphabet agency. So uh, I certainly hope that this this decision does put more power in your hands and that you and the, your colleagues are, are ready to take up these issues on our behalf rather than the let the... Uh, uh, you know, the executive just do all of the uh, lawmaking, uh, uh, you know, by default. Congressman uh, Warren Davidson, Ohio 8, really appreciate you coming on. I, by the way, you mentioned your official Facebook page. I was looking at your official Twitter page. I love yesterday's retweet of Abby Johnson. Funny how most vegans won't eat an egg because it's clearly growing uh, a growing animal inside, but will protest at pro-choice events for abortion up until the moment of birth. Spot on. Spot on. The hypocrisy is so thick you can cut it. Uh, Congressman Davidson, thank you for the great uh, work that you do and for your time this morning. Yeah, always an honor. Thanks a lot. God bless you all. Thank you so much. That's Warren Davidson. It's been a long time since we've had him on this program. I like to reach out to some other members of Congress beyond Northeast Ohio, and it was good to get him aboard. It's 1055 right back on Always Right Radio.
you and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, 10 minutes past 11 o'clock on this Thursday, the 30th and final morning of the month of June in the year of our Lord, 2022. Thanks so much for being with us. Wow. Uh, we have just been packed today. Tremendous interviews, each better than the last, I think. Great conversation with Congressman Warren Davidson. Uh, last segment, we had Dr. Everett Piper back in the 10 o'clock hour as well. And, of course, Congressman Jim Jordan joined us uh, in the 9 o'clock hour. If you miss any of those interviews, you can always catch them on our podcast page at whkradio.com and individual interviews on my webpage at alwayswrite.us. Now, I would like to take credit for this next conversation. Um, as saying that I had the prescience to, to, to know that they would target Clarence Thomas specifically, much more so than they would target the guy who wrote the, the majority opinion in the uh, Dobbs case and in the overturning of Roe. Uh, that was Sam Alito. Uh, I would like to say that I knew they were going to target Clarence Thomas and that he would be called everything but a man by the left in their outrage over the uh, Roe overturn. And that's why we booked our next guest to talk about Clarence Thomas, but we actually had this booked a while ago because it's based on the 2020 movie. It's kind of funny. Not often you uh, you see the uh, uh, a book based on a movie. Usually it's a movie that is based on a book, but that's what happened here. A tremendous documentary, uh, essentially, of the life uh, and career of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas called Created Equal. Um, it was kind of cut short in theaters because it was in 2020 that it was released very early in 2020, and then COVID happened and all of the theaters were closed. But um, at any rate, the movie was a critical smash. Uh, people were just mesmerized by the uh, in- incredible uh, depth of Clarence Thomas and the depth of the uh, interviewers and the producers of the movie to be able to get inside him and and literally you know take a look at what really makes one of the great living Americans tick. And um, that movie wasn't enough to tell the whole story. That's what this book is all about. Created equal Clarence Thomas in his own words. The many hours that did not make it into the two-hour award-winning film. The authors, who are essentially the interviewers of Clarence Thomas, are Michael Pack and Mark Paoletta. And Mark Paoletta joins us now here on AM 1420, The Answer. Mark, you served it. First of all, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Thanks for having me on. Great, great intro. I'm excited to be with you. Thank you very much. Uh, Just to give people a little bit of your background, you served in the White House uh, under President George H.W. Bush, so you played a key role in the confirmation uh, effort of Justice Thomas. You could almost say, you know, you've you've been a 
uh, at least a witness to all of this, if not a partner in uh, the tremendous career of service that Justice Thomas has given to the American people. You were there at, at the beginning, and now you're there to chronicle it uh, as it continues. Yeah, in fact, I was... Um I actually met Justice Thomas in 1983, if you can believe that, uh, October really? 83. But I was the first person, yeah, I was a college uh, senior and met him uh, at an event and sat, sat with him for about an hour with uh, a couple other people. And it was really uh, just so, in, it just, in, just he was so engaging and just, just left such a mark on me. But I was the first person actually in the Bush 41 White House in March of 89 to reach out to, to Clarence Thomas when we were considering him for the D.C. Circuit. And uh, he sent me all of his materials. Uh, to read. I asked him to, in order to vet him, you know, send me his speeches and articles and obviously it's all before the internet. So, you know, he collected all that stuff up and sent it over to me. So at that point, I got to know Justice Thomas, Clarence Thomas very well. Um, we became friends through that process of going on the DC circuit. And when he was nominated for the Supreme Court in 1991, I was his sort of key aide, uh, right hand person, uh, you know, young lawyer in the, I was a lawyer in the, the, the Bush White House working on his confirmation day in and day out during the, that terrible ordeal. Um, and just to back up on the, the book and the movie, you're right, it was this, this book is, is coming off of the, the movie. The movie was by Michael Pack, uh, who did all the interviews. Um, I was a friend um, who helped sort of get the kind of movie underway uh, back in 2016. But Michael Pack, who's a award-winning you know, documentary filmmaker, um, was the person who interviewed Justice Thomas. I was sitting there the whole time, and when we were making that movie, and it was only, you know, you can only be two hours, right? Uh, and it was going to be on PBS, so it had a certain hard stop of two hours. Uh, you know, it was 25 hours of sitting with Justice Thomas. Michael Pack interviewed him, and six hours with Ginny Thomas. And sitting there, listening to it all, and then making the movie and having cut it down to two hours, and seeing all these great passages, all this great stuff Justice Thomas was talking about, from either his life or his opinions, or kind of taking on the left and their policies and their tactics, I thought it was just a crime to kind of have that just end up, you know, nowhere. And so the, the, the kind of the idea was let's all of that stuff into a book and people would love to read in more depth about Justice Thomas uh, and his thoughts on, uh, on, on the various issues and, and learn more about his life. So, um, so I'm excited to have the book out. I hope your, your listeners will buy it. Um, and I think it's perfectly timed with the, the justice and the, the end of this court term and the influence he's had on the Supreme Court right now. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, we are talking, if you just turn us on, with uh, Mark Paoletta. He is one of the two co-authors, even though, as you point out, that Michael Pack did the interviewing here of Created Equal, Justice Thomas, in his own words. Before we get into some of the specifics, and I want to talk about some of the stories in the book, and I want to talk about the confirmation and the targeting of Clarence yeah. Thomas, because you have such a history with him, as you just described, you you know the man. You You, you know him beyond just answers to interview questions. I want to know what kind of a man he is. And I ask this, I would not have, probably, because I think I had a pretty good idea just from observation, you know, the public, you know, the limited public uh, availability of, of seeing Justice Thomas. But Hillary Clinton, in criticizing Roe, uh, targeted him in particular and declared him a person of grievance, a person full of resentment and anger at all times. Um I haven't talked to anybody who knows him on a personal level the way you do with the, you know, with, with a lot of experience in, in being around him and not just professional settings, but personal settings. What kind of a man is he and how do you respond to that characterization of Hillary Clinton? It's such 
absurd, uh, number one. And number two, the grievance uh, winner, if you will, is Hillary Clinton, who is just, uh, mind you, just an awful person. And she's treated people sort of down the ladder, right, um, uh, horribly when you read about the stories about her and the Secret Service or the, the, the agents out in, um, in the governor's mansion out in, uh, in uh, Arkansas. So um, I'll just let that be. Uh, you know, I think most Americans know <laughs> what kind of person Hillary Clinton is. Uh, the, the Justice Thomas, as Justice Sotomayor just talked about a couple weeks ago, um, and it's through, uh, true through and through, he is the kindest, nicest, funniest guy, most engaging guy. Anyone who meets Justice Thomas kind of gets that vibe from him, that he's just a, a good guy. And here's the most important thing. He takes an interest in you. So like when Justice Sotomayor says that he knows everybody and he knows about their kid, whether they're having surgery or they're going through a tough time, that's because he listens to them, right, and engages with them. And, you know, and I could give you a million stories of us going up to visit all this, uh, the nuns who taught him in the segregated South who are now older. They were in a retirement community up in New Jersey. Every year we go up and visit them for the entire day. We just drive up quietly uh, while he was on the court and spend the day with them and go to the infirmary and see every single nun. That Some of them were up in their hundreds. Um, and some of them in the infirmary, and he'd go visit with them. He, um, you know, we were just at a conference uh, down in Dallas, and Justice Thomas literally, it was, it was kind of a, 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 if you recall from Justice Thomas's, um, you know, uh, movie and, and his memoirs, there was a famous thing called the Fairmont Conference, which Thomas Sowell had run uh, just as uh, the Reagan administration was coming in. And this was a conference that was uh, 40 years later to kind of honor Thomas Sowell. Clarence Thomas went to that a couple months ago and sat in the audience and listen to all the speakers. And then when the speakers were done, he talked to them. And he invited them to come by when they were in Washington. And some of them have. And that's the kind of person he is. And those, those meetings will sometimes run. People think they'll meet Justice Thomas for 10 minutes and he'll say hi. It could turn out to be an hour or two hours because he's so engaging and wants to learn about you. Um, so one last story. When we were done with the confirmation and he was all beat up uh, in 1991, um, really beat up. It was just a horrible, horrible experience. I was diagnosed with cancer. And Justice Thomas was the first person to come by, came by every day, called me or visited me when I was going through chemotherapy. He'd bring me out to his house, take me for kind of lunch when I could eat, um, brought me books, sent me prayers every single day. I mean, that's the kind of person he is. Uh, and, and here's the thing, last thing, he does it to many, many people, and not just me, but his friends and then the folks he meets. Uh, so he's joyful. The word that everyone says when you meet him is joyful. That is a remarkable story, a series of stories, and in particular your own personal one with your own battle with cancer. And by the way, congratulations and God bless. Obviously, you know you 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 won that yeah. fight, and uh, to have the support of somebody like uh, Clarence Thomas must have been invaluable to you. Well, why? I mean, you've probably heard the phrase "kill him with kindness." Is that what Clarence Thomas does? Is that why he's so reviled by the American left? Because he's kind, because he's a person of joy. They want to make him miserable. They want to attack him and tear him down and beat him up, as you said he was after the brutal confirmation hearings. But he is a man of joy. He is a man of kindness, and he is a man who doesn't at least let it show um, that they're getting to him when they try to attack his patriotism, attack his belief in the law, Attack his attack him as a man of character. Attack him by his race. He doesn't seem to let it show. Is that what triggers them so much that that makes him such a target? 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's that Bob, but I also think it's he's principled, right? And so he never bends. And the left, I think Clarence Thomas exposes the left's racism, their intolerance. Clarence Thomas says in the movie, right? I thought it was going to be the sheriff in the pickup truck. I thought it was going to be the bigot, you know, running around in the stuff. No, the worst I've ever been treated is by the modern day liberal who will destroy me and my life to get what they wanted. And he was really talking about, it's really interesting coming at, you know, at the end of this term. It was all about abortion and all of these groups that were all interlocked. And so, you know, the left, the left hates Clarence Thomas because he dares to have his own views. And they think, and this is a racism, that if based on the color of your skin, you're required, required to have certain views. Mm-hmm. And if you don't sing from that song, we will belittle you, we will malign you, we will, we will destroy you. And that's what has been going on with Clarence Thomas. And he, you know, at the end of the book, in one of the appendixes, I have the litany of humility, right, which Clarence Thomas has in his chambers uh, hanging. And um, when you look at that, uh, you know, it says, Lord Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. goes on. From the fear of being um, humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. This prayer hangs in Justice Thomas's chambers to this day, and he says it. I, I know him very he recites it regularly. And so here's a man who doesn't care about them, doesn't care about the left, doesn't care about Samuel L. Jackson, for God's sake. What he cares about is getting it right and doing his job and being faithful to the Constitution. And as he says in this book and in the movie, you know, I'm willing to die for the principles of my grandfather and the principles upon which his country were founded upon. And that's what makes Thomas special. That's what enrages the left. And when they see him having a good time and, you know, and, 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 and being joyful, it burns them up even more because this is, you know what? <laughs> when he went on the court in 1991, they knew he was principled and he could lead this, what I'll call revolution, right? And now he has the most, he has the most former law clerk who are judges in the United States. He has like 15 law clerks who love him and who were trained under him, and now are going to carry on his legacy, right? And I think you see it with Neil Gorsuch. I think you see it with uh, Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Barrett. During uh, uh, Neil Gorsuch's confirmation, and I worked every day on, on Neil's when I was in the White House, mm-hmm. Neil Gorsuch, Justice Gorsuch, there was, a, there was an email that was revealed on the Kelo decision. That was that uh, takings case uh, up in Connecticut back in something like 2005. And Neil Gorsuch had sent an email to another uh, a former Thomas clerk saying, Look at Justice Thomas's dissent. Like, what a rock star. And that's the kind of stuff he showed in terms of his opinions that affected all of these lawyers, all of these younger judges that are now growing up. And his legacy is going to be that, you know, both in his own personal jurisprudence, if you will, but also giving hope to all these conservative lawyers who saw somebody doing something and they want to emulate it. We are talking with Mark Paoletta. He is uh, one of the co-authors of Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in His Own Words, which is essentially a book-long interview with Clarence Thomas that is, uh, uh, was born of the necessity of uh, uh, of the limitations of a movie. <laughs> the movie Created Equal was, only, was two hours. They couldn't go any longer, but they didn't want to, as Mark just said, didn't want to let all of this go to waste. So here it is. Um, let me ask you this in closing, and, and, and the book is a remarkable look inside this man, and I think the questions from your colleague Michael Pack are almost as good as the amazing responses and the deep insights given by his interview subject, uh, Clarence Thomas. 
what will what will be the legacy of Clarence Thomas in your opinion, knowing him as well as you do, knowing he has made uh, what many are calling a career defining court opinion uh, in in uh, overturning Roe. As a matter of fact, I did an interview with a Newsweek uh, opinion editor named Josh Hammer. I don't know if you know him. Oh yeah, I love Josh. Yeah, I did. I interviewed him yesterday, or excuse me, last week about this, and his his latest piece in Newsweek called um, was actually headlined "The Greatest Living American Issues His Career Defining Court Opinion." He he refers yes. to Clarence Thomas as that. I, I cannot dispute that, but I, I I I you know history always belongs to the victors. Um, you know, I don't know how the left, if they get to write the history of Clarence Thomas, I don't know that he will ever get the the due, and his legacy will be what it should be, um, based on the amazing career and and sacrifice that he has made in service to his country. So, if you were writing the history, how will history remember, or what will the legacy of Clarence Thomas be? A man who uh, was a principled jurist, who was courageous, uh, who loved his country, and um, uh, and was a good man to his friends and his family and loved his country uh, and, 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 and did his job. As he said, I want to, when I see my grandfather in heaven, I want him to say, job well done. And that's, uh, and, and that's what Justice Thomas' uh, his legacy going to be. I'll say that Justice Thomas doesn't care <laughs> about his legacy in a lot of ways. Clearly. That is why, you know, in terms of getting this movie done, in, in you know, uh, it, its genesis actually was in 2016 when I saw this awful movie on HBO, which was another smear job on, on Justice Thomas called Confirmation. And I thought, the left just keeps coming after this guy, keeps coming after this guy. What can we do? So that was, out of that became the movie. Uh, and then again, with this book, um, uh, you know, sort of getting his message out there and having his friends, because Justice Thomas, again, doesn't care. <laughs> um, but I do care. And I love him, and I think he is our greatest living American and our wow. greatest justice. And to be able to spread his, you know, his life and his legacy uh, to, to to more readers, uh, so that they know who he is. And any, as I said, when anyone meets him and spends time with him, they love him. Uh, wow. And um, I'm sorry, finish your thought there, Mark. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and so I, that, that, so I'd, I'd encourage everyone to to, to, to buy the book uh, to get a great insight to Justice Thomas. You know, I uh, I think your description of him earlier really answers the question. You know, he's a man of joy. Uh, he lives his life with joy. And only a man who is secure in himself and what he has done, he can look in the mirror and he can look to his God and know that he did right and that he did his very best. Only a man like that can live with the kind of joy he does. That's why he doesn't care about his legacy. He knows in his heart and in the eyes of God that he has done what he was put here to do. And I think that's... Uh, that's at least what I gather from this book and from uh, and from so many people who have come to know him the way you have. The book is created equal. Clarence Thomas, in his own words, Michael Pack and Mark Paoletta are responsible. The, the book, of course, follows the movie. Cannot recommend it strongly enough. Mark, thank you for uh, everything that you've shared. Uh, it's, it's a remarkable thing. And, uh, and, and thank you so much for the insights you were able to give on Clarence Thomas. Bob, thanks so much for having me on. Thank you very much. God bless. All right, 1128, uh, coming up on the news. We'll take it to the news, and we'll come back. And finally, for the first time, I think, in this show, we may have time for a phone call. We have just been packed with wall-to-wall-to-wall-to-wall -to -wall -to -wall guests. Uh, but if you want to get in, do it now, 216-901-0945, after the news, AM 1420, The Answer. Spreading the light of liberty and holding.
holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on The Answer. Final segment uh, of the broadcast this morning. It's always a little bit of a short one. i got a couple of things I want to pack into it. However, first of all, Biden spoke this morning at a press conference at the end of the G7 summit. He was in Madrid, Spain, and you just need to hear. I mean, the... I would say insanity, but it's not insane if it's planned, if it's being uh, orchestrated and being carried out, and it is, the lies about what's happening in this country. He was asked, how long will we continue to pay the gas prices that he has put us, um, you know, put upon us? And he said, as long as it takes to counter Russia, as long as it takes to stop Russia's war in Ukraine, you will pay these prices, and there's nothing you can do about it. He literally said this. And when asked, what can you do about it? He said, well, there are things that we can do and things that we will do. But the bottom line is, Russia, Russia, Russia. He literally said it. He sounded like Jan Brady. Ultimately, the reason why gas prices are up is because of Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. The reason why the... He went Jan Brady on Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. The reason why gas prices are up is because of Russia, Russia, Russia. He said this at the press conference. And I still want this lying pile of human monkey mess to tell us, did Vladimir Putin... Sign the order to shut down the construction of Keystone XL. Did Vladimir Putin sign the order to cancel drilling and, and uh, fracking leases on federal lands? Did Vladimir Putin shut down Anwar? Did Vladimir Putin shut down the Gulf? Did Vladimir Putin try to shut down coal companies because of a pledge he made to American gangrene climate nuts? No. You did all of those things. You did all of those things, Joe Biden. Ultimately, the reason why gas prices are up Uh, is because of Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. This will be his epitaph of his political career. I mean, honestly, trying to blame everything on something that started four months ago, but that has actually been building for the last year and a half under his specific executive order ordered policies it's a remarkable thing to to listen to somebody like that now that's part one the other thing i want to do in closing here is go back to the start where i talked to jim jordan about this and i let off the program with this too the january 6th uh, show trial the kabuki theater whatever it is that you want to call it yesterday featuring uh the surprise witness uh, uh um uh, cassidy hutchinson telling us that President Trump was so out of control and off the rails that when they got into the beast, the presidential limo, uh, after his speech on January 6th, he wanted to go to the Capitol. The Secret Service said, no, we have to go back to the White House and the West Wing, sir. And he said, no, we're going to the Capitol. Grabbed the steering wheel, jerked it, then grabbed for for an agent who was trying to stop him and went for his throat. All of this, the testimony before the committee, of Cassidy Hutchinson, a 23-year-old aide in the White House, who was called to give this testimony without any cross-examination whatsoever. So yesterday, this is MSNBC now, Willie Geist talking to committee member Jamie Raskin about this very situation, asking the one question that nobody else has been asking is, what about the agents 
Did you get corroboration from them? Listen. Have you corroborated from other witnesses that President Trump grabbed the steering wheel in that limousine and got into an altercation with his lead agent? Well, Cassidy Hutchinson um, is an entirely credible witness. Um, she testified under oath in front of the entire country. He didn't ask you if she was a credible witness. He asked you if you got corroboration from other witnesses. Everyone was able to right. judge uh, her demeanor. Uh, she has no. Her demeanor is not corroboration with other witnesses, sir. No motivation or interest in lying in any way. Nobody asked about her motivation or interest in lying. Did you get corroboration? And so, what we have on the other hand is. Uh, some anonymously sourced rumors of feelings of particular agents. Look, anybody who wants to testify can come forward and testify under oath. Did you get corroboration of her story before you put her up there to tell her little fable? About what happened. All we're interested in uh, is the truth. So, in other words, the answer is no. You were asked very directly by Willie Geist on MSNBC, was there any corroboration of this fairy tale? And your answer is no. There is Jamie Raskin says, no, we didn't get any corroboration. And no, we didn't ask any of the agents to find out if the third-hand hearsay testimony of a 23-year-old aide in the White House was legitimate or not. That's what we just found out. And that's pretty much all you need to know about this criminal show trial featuring nine prosecutors and zero defense attorneys all trying to convict president donald trump that's all the time that i've got thank you to my guests i had a lot of them today jim jordan we had dr everett piper we had representative warren davidson and we had mark uh, uh, author uh, mark paoletta appreciate all of them thanks to johnny thanks to marianne and thanks to marcy running our show and thanks to you for listening uh tomorrow is a free for all friday we still have a few good guests to get to but we'll have more time for your phone calls then so thanks everyone have a great day stay well stay safe remain free and let's go brandon three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com